0: Welcome to CISO Interviews, where Affinia hosts cybersecurity executives sharing career advice, actionable insights, and tips so that you can enhance your career and succeed as well.
1: Wendy, thank you so much for joining us today. As we begin, can you say a few words uh, about your current role and uh, what's, what's in your purview?
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, so I'm in kind of a an unusual made-up position uh, at Cisco. I lead a team of former CISOs, former practitioners. And what we do is we help advise Cisco itself internally um, about, fr- from a CISO perspective, what we should be working on, how things should be designed, how we should be reacting to things, what kind of messages should we be saying, what should we not be saying. Uh, and we also engage a lot in the community uh, externally, in in working groups and uh, and forums and things like that. Uh, so we we're not in sales and and we don't do marketing or things like that, but we we bring our perspective to mm-hmm. the table um, wherever it's needed.
1: I understand. I understand. And I noticed uh, I went to your LinkedIn profile and I saw you had a uh, a very interesting career with so many different positions. In financial services, I think UBS was one of them. But what was the start? What was, How did you get into cybersecurity space?
2: Uh, it was completely by accident. Uh, I can just say it was it was all a big misunderstanding, because uh, mm-hmm. I was a liberal arts major in college. Interesting. And, uh, but I started doing, uh, uh, my dad gave me access to a a department computer and I started working on it and then getting part-time jobs, doing things like formatting papers for people. Mm -hmm. And uh, that led to a technical writing job. And then uh, I I became a system administrator. And then finally, while I was working for the Swiss bank, um, they put me in charge of security for a region. And uh, so it it was all just sort of you know I, it was nothing that I had ever planned. And sometimes I still wake up and go, "What just happened?"
1: <laughs> it's interesting. It's it's um, that there's almost never kind of a one mainstream entry point. It's always very di- diverse, different pathways that people take to get to get to cybersecurity. But I think the fact that you stuck with it is a testament of that you it remained interesting, and you remain curious about all things cybersecurity. And from that standpoint, from, from your vantage point, what would be your advice for some, some of the junior professionals getting interested in the space and looking potentially to make a career? What are some of the two, three things in your view they should focus on?
0: This episode is brought to you by Avenia. A community where two thousand CISOs and other senior executives network, learn, and succeed together. To apply for your complimentary membership, please visit www.affinia.com or click the link in the show notes. Now back to the show.
2: Well, it's that's really tough to say because I've been in this field now in security itself for thirty years, and things have changed so much since then. So I'm afraid that. If I tried to suggest that people should try getting into it the way I did, it it might be bad advice now or at, at the very least outdated. But one thing I would urge people to do is first of all, people are still coming into the field from many, many different areas and you do not have to be a student, you know, in you taking it as a major and um it, you know, there are a lot of people who are switching mid-career and going into security. So you shouldn't be afraid to do that. The other thing is you shouldn't be uh, intimidated by all the different areas of specialization that people talk about now, Mm -hmm. because you can still move around a lot. You might start um, doing some things on a level one SOC and then go, you know, I'm really actually more interested in application security, or I want to move from testing to building because... Mm -hmm really need a lot, a lot of people in building. So feel free to move around. Don't feel like you're committing yourself when you first try to come in, see what you like. Because as, as somebody with ADHD, I, I, the thing I love about security is I can keep going from topic to topic and there's always something new. So it's easy to, to start drowning in it if, if you get too crazy about getting into everything, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of opportunity here.
1: Certainly, and it's it's almost, especially for, for those who are just starting, getting a broad exposure to a lot of different areas of cybersecurity would help them inform what they can sustain their curiosity about. Is it GRC? Is it pen testing? And and to your point, some of those areas are more technical than others. So it's certainly for someone who's, who's just getting started in the field, getting this broad exposure, whether it's a large organization with a rotation program or joining a smaller, rapidly growing organization where you kind of invariably tend to wear different hats. Uh, those could be, those kind of venues could be interesting in in getting, getting this perspective uh, and, and setting, setting yourself up for success. It, it certainly makes a lot of sense. Um, it's, it, you have a very interesting perspective as a practitioner uh, I noticed you a number of uh, boards and advisory roles, and with Cisco, so you have a very unique and broad perspective, both from the practitioner side, from the vendor side, which I think not many people have. And I'm sure you mentioned uh, you have a long uh, and successful career in cybersecurity, so you see how things change and evolve. At the moment, and it seems like every now and then there is a new theme that captures everyone's attention. Um, now AI seems to be top of mind for a lot of people, uh, and before that, everyone was scratching their heads uh, with work from home with COVID. So, uh, and obviously, the the threat landscape is changing. It's no longer the teenager in the hoodie. Most likely, it's it's uh, government sponsored, very resourced, and very technically adept uh, organizations that are at the scale of some of the enterprises they're attacking. So. Um, you, you see a lot of different things. F- f- from your standpoint, what are the top three most important areas that give CISOs, um, I don't know, keep them up at night for like a better term?
2: Yeah, I, I you know, I think generally speaking, the biggest problem CISOs always have is trying to figure out just what terms mean, what vendors are talking about, especially if, mm-hmm. if you take, like you said, AI, What even is AI? Uh, And so many of the discussions I see these days are trying to figure out, okay, the vendor's claiming that they can do this, but I really want to know what they can do. Is this really just sparkling automation? And if it is sparkling automation, how is this automation going to be different from what I already have in my environment? Mm -hmm. What kinds of automation do I need uh, to try to get them to produce for me? And how do I manage this within my environment just like I manage any other kind of automation? Uh, for example, if there's, if there's a flaw found in AI, if there's bias or uh, you know, some sort of corruption in the, in the training model, how mm-hmm. is that gonna be remediated? Who's gonna do it? Who's responsible? How fast can they do it? Because it's not like just applying a patch on you know, any other kind of software. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are a lot of the discussions that CISOs are going to have to figure out and decide whether they like the answers that they're hearing, mm-hmm. which is, you know, even more difficult. They might go from one place to academia, to policy, to, uh, to vendors and hear different answers to these questions. And because it's so new, they have to decide how they want to handle it on behalf of their organization. So th- that that's one, you know, another one is, um, you know, certainly the the economic environment and the huge amount of really fast, sudden layoffs that are happening, mm-hmm. uh, there's so much churn in the organizations. And one of the things that CISOs have to do every day is to assemble their allies and their peers inside of an organization to get their help, because they can't do everything themselves. So... If the if the organization is changing out from under them and they have managed to negotiate and bargain and wheedle people into helping them get their projects done and then all those people are gone,
1: mm. how do
2: they deal with that internally? And that's that's not exciting, it's not new technology, it's not the hottest attacks or anything. It's the the basic functionality of how you get your work done as a CISO. And how you continue to do it in the face of turbulence. So I think that's, you know, that's something else that's going to be going on. Maybe the third, uh, I don't know, I'm just kind of making this stuff up here, uh, as as we all have to do in security. Um, The problem is that there is never, it, it never gets quiet. Um, on the security landscape. There are new things and there are old things. There are still going to be the old things, the mainframe, your legacy applications and everything. So Mm -hmm. the tail of things that you have to secure is getting longer and longer and it doesn't show any signs of getting shorter. And so I think CISOs are gonna be challenged with being even more strict and and i might say savage about prioritizing what they're going to work on because you'll find that you're going to address something that's on fire just until it's mostly out and then you go run over to something else that's also on fire and and you you know go around to everything so there are some things you just won't be able to do in the next 12 months and you're just going to have to say well you know, from a risk perspective, can I get away with not doing anything on this right now because we've got all these other things, and I simply cannot keep up? So th- th- those are just my guesses on on
1: uh, interesting. interesting. I think it's it's certainly on on the levels of stress and 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 different things to pay attention to. It certainly echoes some of the other conversations that we had uh, with CSUS and now community. And I wonder if you think it's partially is just, and it's, it's just a personal perspective. I think technology is playing such a ever increasing role in our lives, on a personal level, um, at a company level, at the government level. And and the bigger the role gets, the more dependent we are on technology. The more critical it is to sustain it and to uh, make sure things are going as as designed, as planned so the surface area is increasing and as a result the the scope of the job for for CISOs is increasing as well and i wonder if um on the one hand this increasing scope is kind of talks to you, the point that you're raising that um ever increasing number of fires that you're just about to put out and there is something else is is uh um, is needs your attention another another a project that you need to get involved in do you think it's partially driven by just proliferate proliferation of point solutions on the vendor side. Because every time I go to RCO Black Hat, it's know, 450 sponsors, 450 organizations, a lot of them overlapping, a lot of them using some of the same buzzwords for 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 lack of a better term. Uh, there's certainly a lot of them are grasping for growth and sticking elbows out and trying to see how much they can encroach on the the competitors category. On the one hand, on the other hand, uh, some of the companies like uh, Cisco, like Palo Alto, like uh, Checkpoint, um, it seems you are having a field day. It seems like every other week or so there was news about new startup being picked up by one of the majors. So do you think uh, even though the surface area is increasing, this, uh, every CISO's dream of single pane of glass, is it, is it within reach? Is it something that uh, you think will, will play out in them, whether it's one year, three years, five years?
0: This episode is brought to you by Afenia, a community where 2,000 CISOs and other senior executives network, learn, and succeed together. To apply for your complimentary membership, please visit www.afenia.com or click the link in the show notes. Now. Back to the show.
2: Well, I, I spent five years as an industry analyst. So I talked to literally hundreds of vendors. I think at one time we were covering about 1,300 vendors, and those were only the ones that we had time to write down. There's probably three or four times as many vendors out there. So uh, you're right. Everybody wants to be that single pane of glass. And so, you know, everybody's going to you know, bring that. But, um, I think what's gonna be critical for each customer is, uh, yes, you know, there are organizations, uh, there are companies buying up startups. Um, the question is always how well are they able to integrate them? How quickly have they found the right use cases, especially for end-to-end narratives and security, for end-to-end use cases where the customer wants to do something um, all the way across. And, and there may be use cases that people aren't really talking about, but if a a vendor manages to build them, they go, Oh yes, I always wanted to be able to do it that way. Mm -hmm. So it's not just getting everything under one pane of glass or everything on under one platform. It's making sure that, um, it's easy to use, that it's consistent, that it's simplified, that you understand what's going to happen when you use something to find out whether you can model it beforehand so you don't have to roll it back if, mm-hmm. if there's something wrong. Um, there are so many different ways that you can consolidate these things and put them together. Mm-hmm. And again, that's another challenge that a CISO is going to have to be able to analyze is, is the vendor putting all these things together in the right way uh, for what you want to do in your particular vertical or with within the constraints that you have.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense. It's almost like, even though they may not be a single pane of glass, maybe there are pieces that fit together perfectly that from the user perspective, from the practitioner perspective, it will almost appear as if the pieces interoperate, they're not causing, they're not creating an attack surface, they uh, interoperate seamlessly. So from the user perspective it almost appear it will appear as a single pane of glass, at least certain components of it.
2: Yeah. Or you be able to say, well, this is the data that we like to work with. And these two tools are able to consume the data the way we produce it. And Mm -hmm. so we're just going to stick with these two tools because you know we've already smoothed that path there. Um yes, we probably could get it under a pane of glass somewhere else. But it's working the way that we need it to, and right now we're just too busy to try to, you know, perfect it by going after that. We have too many other things to worry about. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, are they be, going to be able to get a good enough solution that works and is easy for them to use, a, easy for them to adapt to? Um, and um, that, yeah, like I said, there's so many different ways to do that. So I think. What we have to keep listening to the customers and going, you know, if you can make wave a magic wand, what would you want to have in this? And and how would you want to do it?
1: Well, uh, if 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 I were to wave a magic wand, I want all the APTs to go away and all the criminals yeah. be put <laughs> behind bars and <laughs> and take a long desert vacation, this probably would be a, t- a top of the list for for a lot of CISOs that, that we do. Um I just want to again kind of going back to the amazing experience that you have. So not only you're a practitioner within financial services in the industry, not only you were a research you were heading a research practice, I understand at the 451 group. Um and now you are heading up advisory um group at the probably the largest uh, cybersecurity Cisco being the largest one of the largest players in cybersecurity space. So in our role we we work with CISOs, work with vendors um so every time we talk we we uh we're in conversations with cisos and the subject of vendors c- it comes up it sometimes evokes this visceral reaction everyone's getting so many calls <laughs> and linkedin messages and when we talk to vendors they're like well i if if only they could understand what we do they would really appreciate the solution that we bring forward so and you you kind of bridging all the worlds, the the research group uh, part of, of the equation and, and, and the vendor equation and the CISO equation. So if you were to, if you were wearing a CISO hat, uh and you would say, I wish vendor if only cybersecurity vendors could, what would that be? And also on the other side, if you're wearing a, a cybersecurity vendor hat and you could say, I wish CISOs would, what would that be? What uh would those suggestions of how to work together better uh what would those suggestions be
2: oh uh, that that's a really hard question um one of the things that i think about you know when i've been on the vendor side is that um security vendors uh, for the most part are really good at building tools like they're very good at building hammers and screwdrivers and saws and um and that sort of thing but they're not carpenters Mm. they're not trying to hammer something upside down you know 200 feet in the air and you know that there are things that that CISOs and customers do with their tools that they never would have thought of and that's why I feel you know the part of part of the job uh for my team is to be able is to speak for the carpenters and say you know did you know that we actually hold the hammer by the head and we, we use the, the handle to do this and they'd be going, really? <laughs> well, yes, because this is, you know, because we have to do it this way. Um, as to go back to people going into cybersecurity for the first time, you're going to find a lot of things that you go, why is it that way? Who thought that was a good idea? And the answer is that some time ago, maybe years ago, it was the right answer to the the problem at the time maybe it's not anymore but if you pull on the threads and go why did it end up this way you will find out the most amazing things the most amazing reasons why somebody had to clue something together to make it work this way and this is what translated into the policy that the company is following today mm-hmm. so y- y- you and the problem is that CISOs can't always or won't always come out and be honest about that sort of story. You know, there's no reason for a CISO to, you know, be able to walk up to a vendor and just say, okay, I trust you. I'm going to tell you how bad things are. (laughs) But, uh, you know, and, and CISOs are not going to get on the stage at RSA and say, hey, we're having real trouble patching. So that's another thing another reason why I feel it's important for my team to be able to go up and say, Hey, patching is hard. Don't, you know, don't go chastising organizations for not patching fast enough because you have no idea what they're really going through day to day. So if CISOs feel as though they can trust enough to say how it really is um, and, and, you know, they're going to be nice. They're not going to say to a salesperson, you know, this is the worst UI I have ever seen. They're just not going to do that. But if they can come back and say, you know, I would really rather see something like this and have vendors be open to that feedback and say, you know, I would never have thought that you were having to deal with this. But now I understand. Mm. I think that that two way communication is the
1: most important. I understand. I understand. And it's almost like in your role, in an advisory role, when there is no immediate pressure to buy something, the CISOs feel that they're they're actually getting advice, they're being educated rather than being sold, and it just opens up the communication channels in ways that may not have would not come together like this if you're talking to a salesperson, you expect to be sold. So it's, it 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 makes your job, I would imagine uh, easier because you are advising not not effectively.
2: Yeah, it's more like a therapy session, to be honest, (laughs) Um, because when I was a CISO, I hated it when vendors would come to me and assume I didn't know what I was doing and try to tell me what my job was. That was so annoying. So, you know, if I sit down with a CISO, if they want to talk to me. They will be telling me what particular constraints that they're under and I'll go, oh, man, I feel that, you know, that there was this one time when I had to do that. And what we ended up doing was we just changed, you know, 10 percent of people's email addresses, the ones who were getting fished the most. We just changed their external email addresses. It was free and it cut, you know, the, the amount of phishing we had to deal with by 90 percent. Oh, wow. You, you know, things like that. that. That's an actual story that I heard. Um, so that, you know, there are lots of discussions when you have the right environment and the right rapport and the right trust, there's learning going in both directions. And I think that's, that's what we need to be doing instead of to say, well, we're going to tell you everything that you can do with this hammer, because, you know, they've probably been working with hammers for, you know, 20 years. There's not that much that we're going to be able to tell them, but we sure might learn something from them.
1: Interesting. Well, in the end of the day, cybersecurity is a, is a team sport, and and it's the team can win only by aligning around the mission uh, and, and not staying siloed. It's and it's just the more time we spend in this space, the more we realize in this the landscape is changing so fast. Technologies are coming out so quickly. The only way to succeed is by playing together is not not against each other, but the good guys against the bad guys, I guess, for for right, to, right. to use that analogy. Uh, Wendy, I know we're coming up on time and thank you for being so generous uh with providing your your uh, your insights. Um I guess last question if if you had a crystal ball and you could see into the future 12 months from now, CISOs will be worried about, excited about, anxious about what some of the Two or three things in your in your mind.
2: Oh boy. Y- you know, I um I I have tried for years to be able to come up with predictions. And the longer I've been in this field, the more I realize that I really have no idea what's coming next. I really don't. Interesting. Um and I find that a lot of the people I admire in the field who are working really well. Um, are strengthening their ability to adapt more than anything else. They might say, I don't know what's going to happen with AI next year or the year after. It could be anything. But if I work on um, on response and fast design and implementation and collaboration and w- within my organization and outside, if I build up a great set of resources to go to and say, do you even know what this is? What mm. should we be doing about this? That in itself will prepare you, I think, for just about anything rather than going, well, we're going to reach, you know, four qubits uh, in in, uh, in quantum computing by, you know, the end of next year. Nobody knows that for sure. Even the people working on it don't know that for sure. Interesting. But, but what, what we can do and what I think CISOs need to be able to do is to pick out some things and say, well, if this happens, how would we react to it? And what would we need to put in place now, whenever it happens?
1: It's almost like, well, you want to be anti-fragile, uh, to mm-hmm. borrow quote from Nassim Taleb. And yeah. they say it's it's the problems that you don't know, you don't know, that will impact you. So being aware, at least aware of that will add to resiliency. Um, so it certainly makes a lot of sense when you, thank you so much. This was amazing. What's the best time to, uh, what's the best way for, for our listeners to, to connect, uh, by you on LinkedIn? What's, um, what's the best way to engage?
2: Well, LinkedIn is fine. I'm also on Mastodon. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so if you just search for Wendy Nather, there better not be any other Wendy Nathers. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, you, you know, hope to see you all at, uh, at different events. And and roundtables and things like that in the future.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much.
2: Thank you.
0: If you liked this episode, please subscribe to this channel and visit Aphenia.com for more information about your complimentary membership or click the link in the show notes.